the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. As we head into our third hour, you have seen him on national television. You have seen him on Prager. You, you have heard him on this show before. He is Hans von Spakovsky. He is the manager for the Election Law Reform Initiative and a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Mr. von Spakovsky, thanks for joining us again. Much appreciated, sir. Sure. Thanks for having me back. You betcha. Uh, You know this stuff better than anyone perhaps in the country. Uh, And I want to dig into a little bit as we're talking about these election reform uh, proposals that are taking place. But I have to start here uh, with um, with President Biden yesterday. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is an awful lot to take, sir, isn't it? It was one of the most outrageous speeches I've ever heard, and it was filled with, frankly, lies, fabrications, and deceits. You know, the whole theme of it was that um, election reforms like requiring ID when people vote, but that's the same as Jim Crow. Well, that is not only absurd, but it is an insult to those who actually suffered under real Jim Crow. And look... You look at the polling, and uh, an overwhelming majority of Americans, including a majority of African Americans, say, voter ID? Yeah, that's a common-sense requirement. We ought to do that. So he, 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 everything he said, basically, was wrong in that speech. And, you know, so I assume you know, but what's going on here is it's a propaganda war. And... Um, Uh, Both uh, uh, President Biden and Kamala Harris and other Democrats are trying to paint this false picture of voter suppression all over the country as a way of justifying passing these federal election bills that would uh, federalize and micromanage and basically take elections away from the states. You know, I will give them one piece of credit on this, which is they know what they're doing when it comes to spreading the line. We could call it the lie, but spreading the line they want people to take home. So they focus perhaps this one more than anything else is what resonates with people. I'm sure it was poll tested. It was the issue of water. What did he say yesterday when the Bible teaches us to give water to the thirsty? The new Georgia law actually makes that illegal or something? Can you straighten us out on this one, please, sir? Yeah, that was one of his uh, most absurd claims, but they've they've um, obsessed with that because they think it sounds good. Look, here's, here's the real story. Um, Georgia, like every other single state, does not allow campaigning close to a polling place and close to voters standing in line to vote. In Georgia, it's 150, within 150 feet of the polling place, or 25 feet of voters standing in line to vote. Uh, The prohibition on campaigning also says that you cannot give money or gifts 
to a voter, including food and drink. And the whole point of this, obviously, is to prevent undue uh, influence by uh, candidates and others to voters right as they're about to vote. Uh, Georgia's law, by the way, is almost identical to the law in New York and New Jersey. Mm. <laughs> you know, New York, Chuck Schumer's, uh, Chuck Schumer's state. Um, and, look, if voters want to bring their own food and water, they can do that. Election officials, specifically in Georgia, are allowed to provide water to the voters. And if a candidate wants to set up a food truck or something like that, close to a polling place, they can do it as long as they're outside the prohibited campaigning uh, uh, area. So this idea that this is somehow some big problem is foolish, particularly since um, the average time that people wait in line to vote these days across the country, there was a study some years ago, MIT Caltech did it, it was about 14 minutes. His line about people waiting in line to vote for hours and hours and hours, again, was a fabrication. That happens occasionally. Uh, it doesn't really happen in Georgia because Georgia, unlike his home state of Delaware, Georgia has 18 days of early voting. There you go. So you can vote on Election Day. You can vote uh, on one of 18 days for early voting. Del- if he's worried about long line, maybe he ought to go to Delaware because Delaware – until this year, had no early voting at all. They finally passed the statute that takes uh, place this year, but they still only have about half the taste of early voting as Georgia. It seems to me if he wants to deal with anything he's talking about, including Jim Crow 2.0, he should look in the mirror of his own home state. I mean, it was he in the 70s who was palling yeah. around with these guys. It wasn't our party. What in our party? Uh, we're talking to Hans uh, von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation, senior legal fellow and manager of their election law reform initiative. He, uh, Hans, he said yesterday um, the denial of the fair and free elections is undemocratic but not unprecedented. Who's being denied the right to vote? What, uh, is, is there a class Nobody. action? Is there? Uh, do we have evidence of this? Is is this invented? No. No, no, this is invented. Uh, once again, uh, President Biden is making totally false claims. And that was on top of, uh, I don't know if you saw Kamala Harris. Yeah, Before the president came yeah. on, she made the totally absurd and ridiculous claim that the reforms of the past by various states were going to keep 55 million Americans from voting. Right. That is, there is not one iota of evidence of any kind to support that. In fact, um, the you know the Census Bureau last year issued a report, for example, on the 2020 uh, uh, presidential election. Mm-hmm. We had the highest voter registration rate, uh, uh, higher than the past five federal elections, and we had the highest turnout in an election in this century. In fact, the highest turnout since the 1992 presidential election. Um, they cannot point, if you ask them for actual evidence of someone who has been unable to register or unable to vote, they're not going to be able to produce anybody. Yeah, there is this odd thing going on, too, at the same time, isn't there, where they're talking about this urgent, exigent need 
to federalize election laws because of the problems that uh, evidently we've been living with and living, getting used to. All the while, while they're in power, I mean, it, it's odd that they want they want to they want to shut people down for questioning legitimacy of elections while they are questioning all hitherto election law as they're trying to propose what now three new laws in Congress. It seems there is something weirdly against interest here, isn't there? Well, there is, but they are desperate to get these laws passed because. I mean, there's no way to put it other than to say that um, the laws that they are pushing, frankly, would make it easy to cheat in future elections. And the other thing uh, that that they are trying to push through, this is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which the president said ought to be passed yesterday. Listen, that law would give unaccountable and unelected bureaucrats inside the U.S. Justice Department the ability essentially to veto election law changes made by state legislatures or even made by voters in referenda. So if Arizona state legislature passed a change in the law affecting, for example, uh, voter ID or voter registration or how to maintain the access to this voter roll, um, that provision wouldn't be effective until and unless Arizona submitted it to the Justice Department. The Justice Department said it was okay. Yeah. And anybody who thinks they're going to do an objective, objective, nonpartisan job of doing that hasn't been paying attention to the past year of the Justice Department under Merrick Garland. I'm guessing if this administration or Merrick Garland's office were to call you in uh, for your advice, as I'm sure previous administrations have done, the first thing you'd have to do upon entrance is show some form of ID, and I'm guessing you wouldn't complain that that was a violation of your constitutional rights. Uh, in fact, I used to work at the Justice Department, and you cannot get into yeah. the Justice Department unless you show a government-issued photo ID. Uh, also, keep in mind, uh, what has the rule been in every single state if you want to get vaccinated against COVID? Mm. I, I had to show a photo ID to mm-hmm. do that. Yet we don't hear anybody no. saying, oh, my gosh, there's vaccine suppression going on because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hans, uh, to the degree we get through this, it'll be to the degree that uh, people uh, listen uh, to your uh, messaging and uh, to your straightening out of the misstatements that uh, the Democratic Party, I'll just say, President Biden and Joe and Kamala Harris have uh, been uh, been promulgating. So let me thank you. I know how busy you are, my gosh, uh, but this time has been made for you, and we are dearly appreciative of you and your time, sir. Thank you and your brain. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You are always welcome here. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind, we're here for you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Probably not on my list of top five. You have to read every time. But, boy, it turns out I read him almost every time he publishes and Maybe he does deserve to be on that list. Uh, Jason Riley over at the Wall Street uh, Journal, Jason L. Riley. Um, We did a little bit on this, just too little, uh, what we would call short shrift around here, the passing of Sidney Poitier uh, last week. Jason Riley says the hard stuff here, and uh, I want to embrace it. It's complex in a sense. You'll see why. 
But uh, before I do that, uh, we'll get to it in just a moment. Let me, well, no, let me do it. My late parents, whose rocky divorce occurred in the 1970s when their three children were still in grade school, didn't agree on much, but they did agree on Sidney Poitier, who died last week at 94. For mom, men didn't come better looking. To both of my parents, the actor exuded charm, grace, and decency. They were idealizing a celebrity they didn't know personally. But for millions of black people of Poitier's generation, when dignified depictions of blacks in motion pictures were still scarce, his most famous roles, the detective in The Heat of the Night, the teacher in To Sir With Love, the doctor in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the handyman in Lilies of the Field, epitomized how a black man should carry himself. Poitier's heyday was the 1960s. And a case could be made that these positive portrayals of black men helped shift attitudes against Jim Crow almost as much as the sit-ins and marches led by the civil rights activists. Groups like the NAACP cared a great deal about how blacks were portrayed in the entertainment industry, which they linked to how everyday blacks comported themselves. Describing someone as a credit to his race was commonplace in those days. Poitier was well aware that he operated under a microscope and that his actions would reflect, fairly or unfairly, on other blacks. In his memoir, This Life, he said that he accepted an invitation to participate in the 1964 Academy Awards where he became the first black performer to win an Oscar for Best Actor because, quote, he felt it would be good for black people to see themselves competing for the top honor, close quote. He didn't expect to win but he felt a heavy responsibility to say something that wouldn't embarrass fellow, uh, fellow blacks if he did. Quote, I was not going to get up there and look dumb. Whatever I say must be the truth, and it must be something intelligent and impressive that will leave the people in that room and the millions watching at home, leave them all duly and irrevocably impressed, close quote. He viewed his award as a victory for all blacks. I was happy for me, he wrote, but I was also happy for the folks. We had done it. We black people had done it. We were capable. We forget sometimes, having to persevere against unspeakable odds, that we are capable of infinitely more than the culture is yet willing to credit to our account. Close quote. Yet the culture changed as the decade wore on, Riley continues. The civil rights movement became more militant and black popular attitudes soured toward the types of roles that had made Poitier's career. He was called an Uncle Tom and a lackey. The New York Times began publishing articles with snarky headlines such as, quote, why does white America love Sidney Poitier so, close quote. A black cultural critic called him, quote, a million-dollar shoeshine boy, close quote. Poitier's acting career never fully recovered. Black exploitation films, which fe- featured black protagonists beating up white criminals, came into vogue in the 1970s and were popular with black audiences. By the 1980s, Poitier was semi-retired from acting and focused on directing. The civil rights movement evolved as well. The old guard personified by luminaries such as Martin Luther King, Thurgood Marshall, and Roy Wilkins urged black people to adopt the middle-class habits and sensibilities associated with the roles that made Poitier a star. In addition to garnering white support, the thinking was that black self-development was, in, was as important as the struggle for equal rights itself. If only so, that blacks would be prepared to take advantage of new opportunities once equal rights had been secured. To the detriment of the black underclass, a younger generation of black activists and intellectuals dismisses any focus on black behavior as respectability politics, which they hold in contempt. But hard work... Respect for authority and delayed gratification aren't race-specific values. 
in a free market democracy, they are the path to upward mobility for all groups. Today, the political left continues to ignore the role that antisocial behavior plays in perpetuating racial inequality. Elites talk about policing instead of criminality, standardized tests instead of study habits, poverty instead of family formation, wealth redistribution instead of the work ethic. In an earlier area, black leaders knew better. Sidney Poitier is rightly being celebrated for his pioneering performances, but his legacy is larger than that. He attempted with some success to change how all blacks were perceived at a time when it mattered immensely. The nation owes him a debt of gratitude. Thank you, Jason Riley, for that, and thank you, Sidney Poitier, for your life. There was another piece going around about Poitier that's quite moving, quite touching. If you didn't see it, CBS Sunday Morning, of all places, aired it. Powerline grabbed it, and if you go to Powerline, you can see the video talking about how he learned to read, how he learned to read as a young boy. It was by the dint and effort of a man at a Jewish congregation who would come in every night after work hours and teach him how to read, hour upon hour, day upon day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for nothing, for nada, for nada. The reason I um, paused just a moment in reading this piece by Jason Riley was the line he wrote, Riley wrote, hard work, respect for authority, and delayed gratification aren't race-specific values. I'm sure this ran through Riley's head at the time he wrote that sentence, probably yesterday or the day before. I'm sure it ran through his head. That's exactly what the Smithsonian isn't teaching. Well, let me put it this way. It's exactly the opposite of what the Smithsonian is teaching. They have a section at the Black History Museum, uh, uh, property of the Smithsonian, in Washington, D.C., which uses those exact things, hard work, respect for authority, and delayed gratification as race-specific values, as emblems, as totems, as examples, as identifiers of what the Smithsonian calls whiteness whiteness. What are we doing to ourselves? I don't know how many conversations I have with friends who I don't don't talk to on a regular basis, but that call me uh, in the middle of the day or the morning, usually, actually, (laughs) they know what I'm doing in the afternoon, in the middle of the morning, and they'll say, hey, how are you? What do you what's going on? And I'll say, I'm really worried about this country. I'm worried that we are going to um, Wake up and not recognize it anymore. And you know what they say almost universally? I know what you mean. I have the same concerns. I have the same worries. And it's not about, in any sense, a political thing. It's not about, in any sense, a race thing. It's not, in any sense, about a cultural thing. It's about everything. It's about everything and where to start, where to start. I don't know. Making Republicans the party of Jim Crow would be one. Giving non-citizens the right to vote would be another. Forcing people to take a medicine they don't want or don't need or lose their job might be another. Forcing children to go through anfractious and wending multiple layers of bureaucratic physical nonsense to beat a disease that won't touch them. What are we doing to ourselves? 
Again, I'll say it when I come back. Can't say it here. Stay tuned. Oh, it's just sad when you think about how amazing this voice is and those lyrics. My gosh, and what he did for country music, too. He's one of the people that helped revive it, Randy Travis. Only 62, still alive, but unwell. Uh, not able to um, do what he does so so greatly. And uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, Mike is in Maricopa. Thank you for your patience, Mike. Welcome. Oh, it's quite all right. Happy New Year, Happy Seth. New Year to you, uh, sir. You had the previous guest on there talking about voter ID, and President Biden had made his comments about ID. And I have a question. Uh, back, I think it was during the George Bush, George W. Bush administration, that they passed what was called the Real ID Act. It's a federally approved license, so you could travel internationally and things like that. So I, I'm just questioning the whole part of about if, if when Senator Biden was voting on that bill, which way did he vote? Did he vote for or against the bill? But now all of a sudden he's against voter ID or... Yeah, and well, I remember that act, too, and it passed 99 to 0. I guess that, that's the answer the to your question. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer to your question. It passed 99 to 0, at least in the Senate, which is where Joe Biden worked yeah. at the time. Yeah, um, that's that's one interesting to think of where, uh, of where Joe Biden was on this issue. The filibuster is certainly another which he has defended and used in the past. And, of course, all those names he rattled off at that speech yesterday, reinvoking the worst moments of our lives in the 1960s, they were all people, um, the legatees and representatives of whom he worked with. They were his pals. They were his friends. Um, that was the bidding he was doing. Uh, your senators uh, who were ba- – you think about some of the biggest names that were against the Civil Rights Act of 1964 – uh, they were Sam Irvin, Democrat, hero of the Watergate hearings. Remember, let's get Nixon. That was Sam Irvin. He voted against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. William Fulbright. People still think about Fulbright scholarships. Bill Clinton called him his hero in politics, spoke at his funeral, posed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The name Al Gore meaning mean anything to you? Well, it wasn't the one who ran um, for president, but it was his father. Um, and, and, and that list goes on. This is not something that we have breastfeeding to do over in the conservative movement or in the Republican Party. The person who on television chewed George Wallace out north, south, east, west, left, right, up, down, and every which other way was William Buckley on National Review, in, excuse me, on the firing line in 1968. Um, the idea that this is Jim Crow 2.0 and Bull Connor and you have the side of Jefferson Davis or Abraham Lincoln, that's really the side they have to determine whether they're on or not. Not us. Not we. And I know the phrase gaslighting is becoming quite popular uh, when talking about this, i.e. blaming, blame, you know, blaming some, something else for what you see before your very own eyes or blaming the accuser. Uh, for the problems that uh, the accused is 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 calling them out on, it, it's not a strong enough word, and hypocrisy isn't a strong enough word. It literally is Soviet and Maoist style propaganda. 
that there's just no other way to describe what they're telling us right now. There's no other way to describe it. And um, the fact that the media is letting them get away with it is um, discrediting at best, discrediting at best. I was having a rudimentary conversation with a friend uh, the other day about free speech and the First Amendment and constitutional guarantees and the power of the government. The power of the government um, and its ability to intrude on civil rights and civil liberties of individuals here is growing up, is, is growing quite rapidly. And what I think the current administration has forgotten or if it hasn't forgotten wants the rest of us to forget is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights – it was written for the people, not the government. It was written to protect us from the government, not the government from us. And they have a fundamental misunderstanding about it. And the media is equally fundamentally misunderstood of, on this or misunderstands this. It's a, it's, yes, it's the, a real problem. The Constitution are the chains that hold government down. Absolutely. It's not about holding the people down. It's about holding the government to account. I mean, what is the point of having more than one party in this country if the dominant party is going to write the oppositional party out of respectable dialogue and deprive them of their free speech rights? What is the point? It is the point of a one-party state. There's no other way to put it. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be I think, if memory serves, this is the first Jimmy Buffett song um, I ever heard. Uh, I, um, my sister, my oldest sister, now a professor uh, at a college, but my oldest sister um, probably is more responsible for my music tastes than anyone. I don't even know that she knows this, um, but... She had this great record collection, and one day I was just going through it in high school, and I loved every album. And for some reason, Son of a Son of a Sailor uh, by Jimmy Buffett, 1976, 7, 8, somewhere in there, uh, it just looked interesting to me. And I instantly fell in love and uh, became uh, just a huge fan. Anyway, a little autobiography. Rob's in surprise. Hello, Rob. How are you? Hi, Seth. Uh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. Yes, you are. Um, great show, by the way. Uh, great guests. Great discussions, as usual. Um, when, when I think of, uh, oh, I'll, I'll use the word, uh, the lies that come out of the mouth of the uh, alleged president and vice president, I, I always get concerned that and it's maybe the media's fault, I don't know, but the GOP apparatus seems to remain strangely silent whenever all these things come out. You remember several years back when I guess Obama was in the in the chamber, the House or something, and, and one of the congressmen yelled out, you lie! Oh, yeah, yeah, and, during a State of the Union, right, 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 right. Yeah, and, and I, I'm not... I'm not really up with very few exceptions. I mean, you know, you'll always have uh, Jim Jordan or our Republican Congress people in Arizona calling him out. But I'm, I'm thinking more along the national GOP apparatus lines. Why aren't they making a concerted effort to refute or get out uh, the, the truth that they're they're being lied to by uh, everybody in charge? And I bring this up because 
um, I just finished reading, and you may not even be aware, Kurt Schlicker had a book before he even started uh, writing his novels. It was called Conservative Insurgency, and its premise really is that uh, the conservative insurgency is going to start at the local level, just like you talk about with school boards and uh, and mayors and, and uh, so forth and state legislatures and then on up. Um, uh, in order to win the culture, in order to win, and he goes through, you know, Hollywood, he goes through uh, the whole Washington scene. Um, I remember, too, I think it was Reagan, when we were talking about reducing, you know, the size of the bureaucracy, which has way too much power. Uh, I think it was Reagan that actually brought up him wanting to get rid of the Department of Education, which, of course, is unconstitutional, and they have way too much power for their own good along with the unions. But I, I'm, I'm, I guess in general my point is that there aren't enough people resisting uh, what they're being told, uh, whether it's, you know, the vaccine mandate, uh, whether it's anything that comes out of the mouth of uh, this uh, alleged president or vice president. And uh, the vice president's mission, the, bo- uh, the border, well, I don't see a whole lot of changes going on there. Um I may be rambling, but I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, I guess, that there, there needs to be more aggressive GOP responses whenever these people in charge are coming out and saying things that are blatantly wrong, clearly lies, totally misleading, and I'm not seeing it. Except you, you, on, no, you know, no, no, like no, no. You're onto something here. Uh, we suffer. Um, uh, how did Midge Dechter, the uh, editor, put it? Norman put his wife. She said the Republican Party is the cross the conservative movement has to bear. Uh, and 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 I think that's probably putting it as well as it could be put. You think about our Republican leadership in the Senate. Um, it starts with Mitch McConnell and. It's a funny right. th- it's a funny thing about conservatives and Mitch McConnell. We love him on one issue and we should love him on all issues, but we can't because he doesn't make himself mm-hmm. lovable on those issues. Well, who's his number 2? I think it's John Thune. When's the last time you heard him say anything smart or be anywhere? Uh, then you go, uh, who else is in our Republican leadership? You really have to scratch your head and start wondering and thinking about it. So then you go to other senators who aren't in leadership, uh, who do get airtime because, I don't know, they're articulate or interesting or perhaps the media thinks they can do gotchas with them. Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, uh, who am I missing? Uh, that, it's hard. You have to stop and think, right? Yeah. It's pretty right. unfortunate. Exactly. We supposedly have 50 of these guys Suppose, yeah. and gals. Who are they? Where yeah. are they? I mean, you and I could name them, but where are they? I mean, I, I well, and not only that's why I'm a little concerned about beating up on Ted Cruz so much. But that's a we can do that another time or or now. I don't care. Well, no, and and it goes even beyond them. I I think it goes into the Rona McDaniel, uh, the whole GOP structure. Um, it may even be at the state level um, where we're just not seeing enough aggressiveness. We're not seeing enough fighting. We're not seeing enough people standing up and saying this is wrong. Uh, or this is unconstitutional. This is this is not the way our founders intended this to be. And I, I'm just not seeing or hearing or yeah. reading any of that yeah. stuff. And I don't know whether it's media suppression or whether it's a lack of guts 
on the part or a lack of greatness. I mean, I gave you some names. Totally, I just yeah. don't. I just I, sorry if you love them. I just don't think that those guys that I, the names I mentioned uh, are are that great. Which is um, another reason. Another reason I want people to take the primaries so darn seriously this year. So darn serious. Do you want people to join the ranks of your Tom Cottons? Or do you want them to join the ranks of your, I don't know, John Thunes? I mean, there's nothing particularly yeah. wrong with John Thune, but I want someone, yeah, to block, but I want someone to tackle. Oh, yeah. And we also we also need to focus, too, on, on the statewide. Uh, oh, yeah. Issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a yeah. whole. Yes. Uh, thank you for saying that. For people who say, well, let's give more power to the state. Okay. Give more power to the states, but who are you giving it to? Take that just as seriously. Absolutely right, Rob. Oh, the one point I, I made earlier and I got the time uh, didn't let me make earlier was I think for the conservative movement uh, today, it's no longer good enough to stand athwart history yelling stop. We have to stand against the contemporary news, the modern, the now, the here, and yell stop. I've been rereading... Uh, as I think I've shared with you, uh, the book Witness by Whitaker Chambers. And I just can't tell you what a beautiful book it is. Beautiful use of language. I don't know if I've read uh, someone whose use of language and writing. You could, if you want to teach someone how to write, here's, here's, here's the lesson I've always given. Um, there's, there's only two ways to learn how to write well. Read great writers and practice. Read great writers and practice your own writing. Hopefully have a teacher or a mentor who can help you uh, or correct you or read your stuff and give you suggestions. Uh, if you can benefit from that, wonderful. But the first step is to read great writing. Are you in the midst of that today? You think our children are getting that today as we've ripped from them uh, what uh, we grew up on? Uh, Chambers' book, Witness, you won't find better writing. And – as I'm rereading it, I'm highlighting things I just sometimes want to share with you. In describing the communist vision, he says, It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. It is the vision of man's liberated mind by the sole force of its rational intelligence, redirecting, redirecting man's destiny and reorganizing man's life in the world. It is the vision of man once more the central figure of the creation, and because God made man in his image, but because man's mind makes him the most intelligent of the animals. Copernicus and his successors displaced man as the central fact of the universe by proving that the earth was not the central star of the universe. Communism restores man to his sovereignty by the simple method of denying God. The vision is a challenge and implies a threat. It challenges man to prove by his acts that he is the masterwork of the creation by making thought and act one. It challenges him to prove it by using the force of his rational mind to end the bloody meaninglessness of man's history by giving it purpose and a plan. And now you know why I tell you the left wants to make illegal thought. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.